0: Welcome to Birkbeck Voices. I'm Louisa Ackerman, and today I'm talking to Jessica Borge from the Department of Film, Media and Cultural Studies, whose research looks at the London Rubber Company, the dominant producer of latex products in Britain, including Durex condoms. We will be discussing the cultural barriers to selling condoms and the strategic market activity that has sought to overcome this historically. Jess will be delivering a talk on 7th of November at City and Islington College as part of Birkbeck's Big Ideas series, a link to book your free place to this will be in the description of this podcast. If you're interested in learning more or asking Jess for any questions, please do come along. So Jess, can you tell us a little bit about Cultural Attitudes and how they presented a challenge to the London Rubber Company and marketing condoms?
1: Well... Bearing in mind that the London Rubber Company really got started um, at around the time of the Great War, Um, there were already a a number of cultural problems um, related to the condom at that time. Um, And they're, they're basically the historic associations that the condom had with what we could see as uncontrolled male sexuality. Um, So the condom wasn't really used for contraceptive purposes up until this point. It was used so that men could protect themselves against disease. If you extrapolate that, what you get is sex outside of marriage, you get prostitution, obviously you get venereal diseases. And this was very much seen at the time of the Great War as being detrimental to women and children, of course, but by extrapolation, the family, and if you take that even further as uh, undermining Nationhood. So the condom has this link with venereal disease and with a type of sexuality that's not widely discussed. And this is the kind of marketplace that London Rubber is going into. When it starts producing for itself in the 1930s and the 1940s, of course, and then we have some extra problems which have unfolded, which is to say that there was a growing family planning movement which was led very much by women. Um, So you have organisations such as uh, the Mary Stopes Women's Clinics or the Mother's Clinics, I should say, and the Family Planning Association. And these organisations were ideologically opposed to the condom for all of the reasons that I've said. But they also just didn't like the fact that the London Rubber Company was making money out of condoms. And so when you take that social perspective there's this idea of uh, profiteering, and that's a a very big problem that the London Rubber Company has as well. One of the other things is that the cultural problems, um, and this is one of the things that my research goes into, the cultural problems were in some ways beneficial to the London Rubber Company, and that's not something that's really discussed very much. Once the London Rubber Company really got a foothold in the marketplace in the late 30s and the 40s and the 50s and it really got going, they realised that having a social stigma around condoms meant that other companies weren't so willing to step into the market um, and to try to produce competitive products. So actually it was in London Rubber's interests to... Perpetuate to a small degree this idea of social stigma and to not really do very much to change it.
0: Can we go back to what you were saying about Mary Stopes and the family planning clinics? And they were opposed to condoms because of the association with vice. Is that right? Yes. And um, what were they advocating at the time instead? said?
1: So, um, Mary Stopes and the Family Planning Association, who were separate organisations, they, they tried to come together but they, they never really saw eye to eye. But they emerged in the late 20s and really got going in the 1930s and these groups respectively and there were some other family planning groups they favored female birth control methods um, which essentially blocked off the cervix so you had uh, the diaphragm and the cap and they were just variations on a theme so they were female methods that women used that women controlled but whether or not they were as effective as condoms is is still a matter of, of conjecture. The female methods weren't necessarily much better than the condoms, but the whole aim of these organisations was to take control, as they saw it, away from men and to put it into the hands of women, which meant that fundamentally they were going to do what they could to resist condom culture.
0: Okay, great. So going back to the London Rubber Company and your research is about how they overcame... Mm or indeed embrace this hostile landscape to marketing the condoms. Could you tell me what was so innovative about the strategies they took?
1: Well, to be honest with you, the the strategies that the London Rubber Company undertook in order to continue to promote the condom weren't particularly innovative. What's very interesting about them is that they just used strategic planning in the way that many, many other industries used it. And in the history of contraception, those two things aren't normally paired together. There's a resistance against really looking at the everyday business activities of these companies. But what London Rubber did was what any other uh, manufacturer with a product to sell would do. They advertised as best they could. It was limited. There were restrictions, but they advertised. They invested a great deal of time and money and research into branding and making sure that the brand, and we're mainly talking about the Durex brand here, but making sure that it was as well known as possible. Um, They produced information booklets and films and catalogues. But for me, one of the most interesting things and really the most under-researched part of the London Rubber Company's marketing strategy, as far as I can see, is the strong direct sales force that London Rubber employed. So it had a team of people who would go up and down the country, direct to retailers, undermining the products of other companies and trying to push Durex. The other thing that it would do, and this is a very strong part of my work, is London Rubber Company wherever possible struck up partnerships with stakeholders whom it thought could be useful for its purposes so it would commission research from academics it established research foundations it had a medical journal it provided money for the family planning association who was its enemy but it provided money for the family planning association to do its own marketing in the hope um, that London Rubber would make itself indispensable. So these are aspects of marketing that um, have been overlooked by historians because it's difficult to trace them. But of course my argument is that it's, it's a fundamental part of understanding the contraceptive business and, and why marketing was so important.
0: As we go further into the century, you get the introduction of the contraceptive pill. Did that change things either in terms of public attitudes or for the London Rubber Company in their sales and their marketing?
1: Well, there's a dominant narrative when it comes to the pill, and you see this narrative everywhere. And it says that until the pill became available, so that was 1960 in the USA and 1961-1962 in the UK, so until this time, women had limited choice in contraceptive decision-making. This is how the narrative goes. And the the pill comes along, and it empowers women to take control, Um, and that this is the catalyst for an explosion of interest in oral contraceptives and some say women's liberation. That's all open to debate, of course. The research that I've undertaken challenges this perspective and it says that public attitudes didn't change overnight suddenly because people were so enchanted with the idea of female emancipation. That's not to say that women of course didn't embrace the pill, they did embrace the pill. But what I'm trying to say is that there was a culture of acceptance that was actually engineered and cultivated by stakeholders who had something to gain from the success of the pill. So you've got um, popular media who are quite happy to run stories on the pill because it's sexy without directly referencing genitals, because you can have lots of really nice photographs of happy ladies and that sort of thing. You've got the birth control campaigners, who funded the research for the pill in this country and were in charge of all regulation of the pill really up until the 1970s. You've got politicians who are maybe opposed to the London Rubber Company. There's a few politicians who were and because of that they wanted to support basically the London Rubber Company's enemy. And then you've got members of industry who are somehow benefiting from producing oral contraceptive pills. So collectively, you have a very strong group of stakeholders who are lobbying for the pill to stay in the public mindset. But at the same time, the problem for London Rubber is that nobody wants to discuss condoms. So what you get in terms of changing public attitudes is the London Rubber Company trying to um, improve the image of the condom, which is very, very difficult for all of the reasons we've discussed whilst at the same time this new force is coming along with all of these new supporters who are willing ready and open about talking about the pill so what it comes down to as far as i can see is a battle of who's got the best resources and who's got the the strongest voices it's not simply a matter of a technology being superior to another technology, and and being abra- embraced by women who are longing to be emancipated. Though arguably that is a factor in it. That was so interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for joining our podcast today, and best
1: of luck with your big ideas talk in November. Oh, well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be. Here.